Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. Love that we get to do this. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12. Let's let's pray. Not just as a formality, we need help. Lord, we come before you this morning. We open up the word, our hearts, and we're asking that you would do what only you can do, that you would speak to us and help us to understand, to comprehend the mysteries of your will and your plan and our part. I'm asking that you would speak to us this morning by your Holy Spirit, connect things in our understanding, help things make sense, really change the the way that we live and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm here this morning in part because we find ourselves in a really interesting and critical moment before the Lord as a people. The, uh, the things that are unfolding, you may or may not have heard, related to the Truman property, the plans and the purposes of God related to this house that connect to his purposes for Israel, the salvation of Israel, the return of Jesus. These are giant things. They're not small. They're so giant. Then you throw in, you know, Isaiah 19 and the Middle East and the salvation of the, the uh, Arabs and Persians and Turks and just across the Middle East, Egyptians. The, uh, the way in which the Lord is stirring them. We've got this front row seat to gigantic things and gigantic promises and gigantic purposes that are unfolding, and it can leave you a bit, when you hear it all, you can kind of think, okay, I love all this. I love it. It's big, and it's significant, and it's important, and it's biblical, but what do I do? What do I actually do? You know, somebody says, Truman property, 50-year story, Israel, Jesus, and you go, yeah, and Wednesday morning, you go, what do I do? What do I do now? What do I do today? What do I do about it? How do I respond? What, what decisions do I make? How does that impact my life? I, I can get how it can impact things in the big picture, but, but I'm not quite sure how to respond to those things on Wednesday. It, you you kind of feel like when these kinds of things get announced, there's almost a um, helpless, accidental passivity. So I guess I'll just wait here. It's like somebody announced a parade's coming. You just happen, you know, if you've ever been to Disney World, you're, you're kind of in a good spot to watch the parade go by. I guess I'll just sit here. As the parade comes, I'll just wait a while. But that's not ultimately what the Lord's asking of you, nor is it ultimately that satisfying. But, you you know, you kind of feel like a failure. We kind of made up this thing 
They announce something that God's doing that's big, it's coming. I will wait for it to happen and come. But we're not great at waiting. And then when we get impatient and bad at the waiting, we condemn ourselves for being bad at waiting. Like, ah, I guess I don't really believe these promises. I can't wait around. I'm so impatient. What's wrong with me? And so the, the problem is Paul really does in Romans 12 give a very practical on-ramp for every single believer to engage in the promises of God. It's really quite simple. The, the beauty is in the simplicity, but because it's so simple, we don't always believe it because we can't always connect it. So if you have the notes, I'm going to tell you in advance where I'm going. Where I'm going is Roman numeral number three. Don't turn there yet. Don't turn there yet. Just, I'm just sneaking there. I'm just, I, I see you, you page-turning impatient ones. I'm going to talk a lot about the plan of God, the plan of God, the plan of God, and our part in that plan. I'm going to tell you in advance what the plan is, the, our part. I'm going to tell you in a second what the big plan is, God's part. But I'm going to tell you right now what our part is, just so we can say it and then work our way to it. What's our part? Our part is really beautiful. It's really simple. It's really hard, but it's really glorious. It's beautiful. Our part is to put the rightness of God's plan on display for other Gentiles so that they believe God is right because of what God does in us and through us. It's really simple. It's really small. It's really doable. The answer to the question Okay, the purposes of God are unfolding. The things of Israel are unfolding. Isaiah 19, the Middle East is unfolding. Crazy, radical believers over there are doing radical things. I kind of feel like a nobody from nowhere, super small and super inconsequential. I don't really know what to do. Paul the apostle, what do I do? Paul goes, here's what you do. You see your part in this beautiful story to put the rightness of God on display to convert others around you to that rightness. You make God look beautiful by letting him make you beautiful. You make God right by letting his rightness transform your life. You make God unimpeachable in his argument in the accusations against him by the way that you love one another in brokenness and weakness. You prove God right. Our part is to prove God right. Like what? What is that? What are you talking about? Well, we'll get there. So let's look at the passage. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. We know this verse super well, but we kind of know it so well that we don't know it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Undergo the Greek word, undergo a metamorphosis, like a you know, caterpillar into a butterfly. Be transformed, be metamorphized by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good 
acceptable, perfect will of God. You may have heard sermons that parse that into the good will, the acceptable will, and the perfect will. Find the perfect will, not the good will. I want to assure you that was a bad sermon. So Romans 12, verse 1, Roman numeral 1, connecting to our greatest promises. This is really important. He says, I beseech you, therefore, and that therefore is huge. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that therefore is pointing back to everything he said, starting with chapter 1. In light of everything that I've said, and the summary of Roman numeral numeral 1, this whole section of notes, the summary would be to say, I beseech you, therefore, in light of what God has done in loving you, what God has done and is doing in saving you, in light of who you were, in light of who you are now, in light of what's true about you now, in light of what you get to be a part of and what you get to be about with your life, in light of the promises that are now yours, in light of the future that is now yours, in light of where your life is going now and where it's going with the people that it's going with, in light of the community, the kingdom, the family you get to be a part of, in light of the wildly undeserved present that you get to enjoy, and in light of the outrageous, glorious future that you get to anticipate and engage with now, in light of all of that. But then, of course, the therefore is specifically taking the the grandeur of this is what God did for you. This is how God loved you. This is how God saved you. This is how God is saving you. This is who you are now. And in light of that, let me tell you, Paul says, starting in Romans 8, let me tell you what God's doing on the earth. Let me actually inform you what it is you're a part of now. Again, I'm summarizing the first part of the notes. They're really good. Just read them. But uh, you, you think of it like this. Before you were saved, you had no purpose. You had no power, no future, no destiny, no meaning in life. Your life was utterly meaningless apart from the Lord. You had no relationships, no connections, no talent worth Picking, there's nothing about you that was inherently amazing or noteworthy prior to being born again. And when the Lord found you and washed you and loved you and, re- and redeemed you and transformed you, when he did, he took you from a nobody from nowhere with no connections, no talent, no qualifications, and he took you past the American White House to the divine White House and a seat at the table of divine governance, you're part of the divine West Wing serving the King of Kings. Let me think about that. Imagine now if you were a nobody from nowhere with no degree, no qualifications, no connections, no relationships, no network, no Rolodex, if they still do those now, no no email database, you know, nothing that you bring to the table that inherently qualifies you to be good at anything, speak into anything, or be a part of anything, nothing, zero, nothing. And imagine if somebody called you up and said, hey, the president of the United States, not only does he know your name, you're his favorite, and he wants you at his right hand at the table helping him run the country. 
That's the right answer, actually. That is the right answer. Whoever shouted pass, the microphone and the online folks can't hear you. I enjoyed it though, because it's the right answer. No, if they didn't help run the country, you'd be like, what? I didn't go to Harvard, Yale, which probably qualifies me actually, but I didn't even go to UMKC. I didn't go to, I didn't go to Longview. I didn't go anywhere. Like I have zero to contribute and zero to add. Like no, the, the president knows you by name, loves you. He wants your voice. That's, in essence, the therefore is that. It's the king of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth. He knows you by name. He knows that you don't know anyone. He knows that you have no qualifications. He knows that by bringing you to the divine west wing, you don't know a thing about divine government and how it works. You don't know a thing about heavenly governance. I don't care how prophetic the guy next to you on row 10 is that's trying to tell you that he knows, he doesn't know. Oh, let me, I got insight on divine governance. No, you don't. You have no insight. You bring nothing to the table. There is nothing of your prophetic receptivity that qualifies you to sit at the table of divine government over the universe. From seated with Christ in heavenly places, qualified by grace, there is nothing of you that got you to that table. But that's what Paul means when he says, in essence, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, in light of who you are now, Here's the thing, all those dudes and dudettes that are at the West Wing doing their West Wing thing, to the measure that they do it apart from Jesus, they labor in vain unless the Lord builds their house. There is nothing that they are doing of any consequence in the light of eternity or even the next hundred years. There is a Ecclesiastes, futility, emptiness and meaningless to their labors as they do it apart from the Lord. What, what man esteems as one of the most significant things you could do with your life, if it's done apart from the name of Jesus, is one of the most meaningless, empty, purposeless, ultimately futile things that a man could do unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. The book of Ecclesiastes doesn't lie. That, that's the thing. That's that's our life now. Our life went from no matter what we did, it was ultimately meaningless in the light of eternity. Now, everything we do is meaningful in the light of eternity. Everything. Because the, the big word that the gospel, the cross, the blood of Jesus attaches to your life is dignity. And by dignity, what I mean is significance, meaning, purpose, connection to something that matters. Everything that you do in the light of the eyes of the Lord and eternity, everything you do matters. Everything. From nothing and nothing of consequence to everything. And everything has meaning and purpose because the Holy Spirit dwells within you by grace. You are a new creation in Christ and as you're seated with him in heavenly places, as you are in him and he is in you, that raises the stakes and the beauty and the significance and the meaning and the purpose of your life. I beseech you therefore, in light of the mercies of God, to live through the lens of awestruck gratitude rather than insecure comparison. 
to live through the lens of the significance that God has attached to your life and the way that you love and the choices you make, there is significance to the choices that you make. Great significance. Letter C, well, let me just look at letter B real fast, just the verse. Romans 11, 33 to 35. Paul says, oh, the depth. It's just such a great verse. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Or who is first given to him? And it shall be repaid to him. Paul is laying out in Romans 9 through 11, he's laying out this amazing plan that God has set forth and is beginning to execute through you, through your life, through the way that you live. This incredible plan to bring forth, to bring about the salvation of Israel. This incredible plan to do it through the provocation of the Gentiles. You. Catalytic to the return of Jesus to the planet, the transformation of the earth, global revival, global justice, global righteousness, global peace, the beauty, the majesty, and the glory of Jesus established in every pocket, corner, and place on the earth, every place filled with authentic, deep adoration, thanksgiving, and worship, this amazing plan. It's so amazing that when Paul is just telling us about it, he gets so moved by the brilliance of the plan that he has to stop and just worship God. He's like writing. In the middle of writing, he's probably, somebody's probably dictating actually, and they're writing, you know, his little scribe as he's talking. You can imagine Paul as the scribe is writing down what he's saying. He's like, yeah, then next this happens, and then there's this part of the plan, and oh, better watch out, don't get arrogant, and oh, and then the, this is really important, make sure you write that down, and oh my goodness, this plan. You can just see Paul just being struck. Oh my goodness, this plan. This plan is beautiful. This plan is perfect. He quotes Isaiah 40. This plan cannot be improved upon. Nobody can add to this plan. Who could counsel God related to this plan? Who could give him advice? Who could make this plan better? There's not one idea, not one insight. We could get every believer on earth, jam them into this room. We could all put our heads together and not one of us would be able to improve that plan one fraction of a molecule, not one of us. All together with all of our brain power, we can't improve on that plan one bit and so Paul is moved, he's struck, he's undone. He's going, oh, this plan, it's beautiful. This plan is perfect. If you wanna, because again, the, if you understand the plan like Paul does, you'll be moved like Paul was. But our problem is we don't quite get it, which is okay. I just wanna, I just wanna say this. Just to, re, just to give us some reassurance. Here's what's amazing about this plan. It's so good. This plan is so beautiful. This plan is so merciful, so kind, so gracious, so genius, so perfect that our disconnect and dullness related to it is not, is not disqualification from it. That's how good the gospel is. That's how good the blood of Jesus is. That's how potent the cross is. That's how genius the plan is. God brought you to the table and involved you in a plan that is so pristine and so perfect in every way. Not any of us in this room get this plan really at all. 
And our dullness to it, our, our disconnect related to the details, we don't get it. And it's not, that is not by any means disqualification from the plan. Do you know what that means? Number one, it means it's foolproof as it's related to your life, my life. But here's what's even more amazing. That reformed, cessationist, replacement theology, no women in ministry church down the road that you might be annoyed at. That church, from God's perspective, is all in on the plan. He looks at them and goes, think about Isaac's message last week. They've ravished my heart and they're contributing to my plan. And you're like, no, not them, Lord. They don't have our end times theology. And the Lord goes, you didn't have your end time theology about five minutes ago. Our disconnect is not disqualification. That's how good this plan is. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And as this begins to move our heart, it's from that moved heart related to revelation, understanding. We understand something which empowers us to pursue something. And there's something we really need to understand here. Letter D, when Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, when he says, I beseech you, he's saying, I summon you to my side. That's really what he means there. I'm summoning you to my side. Such a cool phrase. He's saying, in light of the gospel, in light of who you are now, in light of the living power of a billion sons that resides inside of you, and much more. Because every time I say the fire of a billion sons, lots of people go, wow, that's a good way of thinking of the interior Holy Spirit. But there's always that one guy that goes, you know it's more than a billion sons, right? You know that God is eternal. Yes, I do. I'm just trying to pick the biggest number we can grasp. And all that your life is about now, all that you get to be a part of, Paul says, everything that we get to, to do related to this plan Join me that we might pursue these great and precious promises together. Our life is about something far more beautiful and glorious than we realize. And the, the little contributions that we make through faith and obedience are very significant to God and very important. They're very critical, though small, towards moving the plan forward in what he's bringing about in all of our lives together. The, uh, the passage, Romans 12, letter E, it's about the glory of the gospel that brings us into the daily dignity of our love. That's really important. The daily dignity of our love. It's important that we do not live continually waiting for some other expression, some other assignment to dignify, to give meaning or purpose or value to our loving contribution to God's plans and purposes. The, the perilous thing about a prophetic history, prophetic promises, whether they're promises God spoke to you when you were young that you're still believing for, whether they're promises for this family, this congregation, whether they're prom well, most of which are promises for this city, not just us. Again, you can, 
You can come into a setting with big prophetic words and you can feel like you won the spiritual lottery. I found the special place. I found the special people. Of course, then you hang out with us for like two weeks straight and you're like, this is not a special people. But you can feel like that at first. Like I, I won the heavenly lottery. I got chosen to be a part of this group with these cool prophetic words. And we can accidentally exaggerate our sense of self, our sense of significance, our sense of spiritual purpose and meaning. meaning. We can have an exaggerated sense of our own destiny because of our association with a people of perceived destiny. That's a problem. Because Paul later on in this passage says many times, do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to. Don't think more highly, but associate in lowly and humble ways, not just with one another, but the church of Kansas City, because the promises that we're aware of prophetically for this city doesn't make IHOP KC or 400 Church special and the other 999 congregations of Kansas City lesser than. We didn't find the one out of a thousand amazing church. But the problem is when we're disconnected from the grand story and the grand promises and the grand plan of Romans 8 through 11, when we're disconnected from the dignity of our lives being apprehended by grace to be set into and propelled into these promises, when we're not connected to these promises first and any other prophetic promise in our life is far less. It's far smaller, far less significant. Brother Slyker, no disease known to man, that's pretty significant. Salvation of Israel, return of Jesus, it just comes second, it just does. 500 to 5,000 overnight, that is a significant promise, Mr. Slyker. The return of Jesus and the end of abortion forever, that's way more significant. You don't need to find your significance in the prophetic history. You need to connect the prophetic history to the story you were already a part of. There is nothing greater than having the entirety of the Holy Spirit set fully within you. That's the biggest prophetic history promise of all time. And it happened at the new birth and it doesn't get better. Your Christianity doesn't get cooler. You don't become a part of something more significant. I have the fullness of God dwelling within me and a promise of no disease, no demand. The Lord goes, no, 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 no. I have an assignment for you. And your assignment and where I've brought you and who I've set you with there are some promises on your life and there are some promises on this city. But they fit into this big story that you've always been a part of and the dignity of your life. Do you know what this means? It means you can leave foreign church and move to a different city and you can get a job as a Starbucks cashier and your life is one of the most beautiful lives ever lived in human history with much dign dignity and glory. But, but, but what about the promises? What about my promises? You mean the new birth? 
eternal life, the diamond city, the sea of glass, your eternity with God, the salvation of Israel, your contribution to that story, your transformed life, your ability to have impact by the power of the Holy Spirit to heal the sick and raise the dead. You mean those promises? You don't have to wait for a future revival to engage in those promises. You don't have to wait for some future moment of awesomeness to have an exciting Christianity. We were, you know, we were talking about this as a school the other day, and somebody said, you know, I prayed this dangerous prayer. God, I'll go anywhere. I wanted to go to Iraq, and I ended up in Indonesia. And you just pray that prayer. You never know where you end up. And I said, well, you might end up in Indonesia. You also might end up the Costco receipt checker. But in our very American value system, we idolize and sentimentalize Indonesian missionary and we diminish and remove the dignity from Costco receipt checker. And the Lord from heaven looks at that Christian, spirit-filled Costco receipt checker and goes, look at one of the crown princes of heaven serving in a context I set him because there's lost people there and I want him to display the rightness of my plan. That's so beautiful to me, says the Lord. It's really important. You can see I'm thinking at this point going, wow, this, this is important. This is important. I don't want to become so attached to a corporate story that I lose my way in the biblical story which causes me to lose my dignity and become disheartened when the circumstances don't line up according to an American prophetic narrative versus an ancient prophetic narrative, the one connected to the gospel and the cross. The beauty of the gospel, the brilliance of God's plan means today is very significant. Our obedience right here, right now, very important our lives, the way we love one another, the way we engage in our home group this week, our friendship groups, the way we show up. We don't show up looking for friends. We show up looking to bring about the salvation of Israel, the return of Jesus, the fullness of the Gentiles. We do it by doing our small part, which Paul lays out in Romans 12, which is body life and loving one another well. We do it and we connect to the bigger picture of why we do it. And we connect to how our contribution seems so small, but it actually does move things towards that consummation. It actually does. It seems wild. It seems crazy. Oh, the riches of this plan. We just, it's got to connect. So I said earlier, how do we connect? I'll just give you a little, little morsel, a little tidbit, a little, little help. We might not connect to the grandeur of Gentiles, Israel, reconciliation, salvation, provocation, fullness. It's like, whoa. But we can connect to this. Just think about your life right now. Think about it. Think about the number of bad choices you've made throughout the course of your life. If you are age 60 or over, it's likely that the number of bad choices numbers in the 50 to 70 thousands. If you're age 20, you're gonna break that record effortlessly. <laughs> Less the 60-year-old's like, I have made lots of bad choices. I, trust me, the... <laughs> your ceiling is their floor. 
We always see we always, the joke is we always say that in the reverse. You have so much potential. I'm saying it in the Romans three sense. You have so much potential to make horrific choices. No, we prove that effortlessly. We are living proof that if you give a human enough time measured in seconds, he will make or she will make a horrific choice. Tragic, foolish, immature, silly, petty. We do it all the time. We make really bad choices. Again, numbered in the tens of thousands. That's the glory and the beauty of a sovereign father who loves a people and wanting the highest thing to be loved back freely, he gives us the dignity of free will. Giving us the dignity in his sovereignty of free will, stay with me now, giving us the dignity in his sovereignty of our free will so that we can really love him, not just robot love him, so that we can actually freely love him when the sovereign father takes a huge risk to give us free will in the name of actual love, the flip side is lots and lots and lots and lots of dumb choices. Lots of them. Free will to make dumb choices. Stick with me. But here's the magic. And I don't mean that in the Harry Potter sense. Don't email me. I mean that in the metaphorical sense. Here's the glory. Here's the beauty. The beauty is, if your life is a resume of the human potential to make bad choices, think about this. You somehow ended up in that chair, in this room, with this people connected to this purpose and those promises at such a time as this, at the end of the age, at a critical moment when the Lord found you and led you here but did not violate your free will one time to get you here. How can a person who mostly only makes bad choices make a series in their own free will of really good choices to be here right now with this people? If that moves you in any way, you're touching a little bit of what's touching Paul in Romans 11:33. Oh, the depths. This is a really good plan. And once it strikes us, what we get to do, we can compare other believers in other contexts, this letter F, in a sentimental or romanticized way that, now hear me now, that can actually be an expression of unbelief related to our present dignity and critical role by grace. We can honor the body worldwide without diminishing our contribution and expression of faith in our context. Many romanticize other expressions of ministry as a way of coping with restlessness and boredom or inadequacy and comparison related to their church and their role instead of connecting to the beauty of what we get to do. It just happened last week. Some amazing saints come to town. They tell amazing stories of what's happening in the Middle East and the amazing sacrifices that men and women are making out there. And because we're a little disconnected from the gospel, a little disconnected from our dignity, a little disconnected from the glory of our assignment in the Lord's eye, we start feeling the inadequacy. What's my life about? <laughs> what am I even doing? I'm not dying for the gospel. Ah! What's my life worth? 
Here's the thing. We can, when we're rooted in confidence and the love of Jesus and the beauty of our assignment, how much it means to him and how much it really contributes to that Romans 11 plan, when we're really connected to that, we're not insecure about our assignment. So that when somebody comes in from out of town and goes, no, we die before we disobey and we lay our lives on the altar of death and we are radical in dying. We, we don't have to go, I'm not. <laughs> oh no. We can go, I honor that. I love that. I celebrate that. I rejoice in that. Thank God for you and who you are and how you do your assignment according to the grace given you in your context. It's amazing that the Lord has given you grace because no human can do that by just being amazing. That's really what we're thinking. We're forgetting about the Holy Spirit. We're forgetting about grace. We're comparing ourselves negatively from a place of insecurity. We're diminishing ourselves and romanticizing them. Rather, we go, man, it's beautiful that the Holy Spirit is giving you grace to oppose the spirit of Antichrist in your context. That's so different than our assignment to oppose the spirit of Babylon in ours. Your assignment to oppose the spirit of Antichrist and oppression and violence is so important to what God's doing in light of these promises we share called the salvation of Israel, the provocation related to the fullness of the Gentiles, the return of Jesus, the establishment of his kingdom, the global revival and glory. See, we're all part of that story. And what Jesus does is make sure by blood and cross that their contribution is as beautiful and as dignified as your contribution. They love Jesus in opposition to the spirit of Antichrist. You love Jesus in opposition to the spirit of Babylon and the seduction of wealth and options. In a land of options and ease, you're choosing beauty and prayer. The Lord goes, I love that. That moves me. I need all of it. I need the group that opposes Antichrist. I need the group that opposes Babylon. I need you to not give in to an insecure, restless boredom that imagines that if you were there, you'd be more radical. If you were there, do you know what you'd be? Restless and bored. I talked to so many missionaries. They thought that saying yes to the radical missions call would change their life, except they're there and it's language learning and no friends. And they're restless and bored because the problem is they changed geographic locations and they're still them. Therefore, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This verse isn't primarily, it can be used this way, but Romans 12.1 is not primarily about the way that we die for Jesus. Romans 12.1, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, is about the way we live for Jesus. It's ultimately about, in light of our quality of salvation, and what we're about and what we get to do, it's ultimately about that gratitude-fueled, happy holiness that goes, Lord, it's unthinkable to me that I would defile myself in sin. It's unthinkable to me that I would give myself to compromise. I want to be a pure, spotless, 
blameless sacrifice that's acceptable on the altar. Am I willing to die? Yes, but that's not primarily what Paul's saying. Paul's asking, are you willing to live separate and holy? Are you willing to be different than the world? Are you willing to not be conformed? Are you willing to be transformed in the way that you think? Are you willing to give yourself to a life of separated holiness that is able to put the beauty of God's rightness on display? to sin, to compromise, to give ourselves to defilement is to actually defeat the God's purpose related to this perfect, beautiful plan. He's going, I want you to be a part of the plan. I want you to show your Gentile neighbors how right, perfect, flawless, pristine, good, enjoyable, pleasurable my plan is. I want you to be a conduit. I want to put the beauty of me on display through you in the way that you love. And I want you to love different than they love. I want you to love one another. I want you to bear with one another. I want you to love enemies. I want you to bless enemies. I want you to be so different in the way that you love enemies that it makes me more beautiful to them. Here's how the fullness of the Gentiles works right now. On Wednesday morning, how does the fullness of the Gentiles and our participation work one Gentile at a time? That's how it works. What do I mean? I mean, if we are to prove, and that's by testing and refining and and revealing, if we're to prove that God's will is good, that God's will is perfect, that God's will is what should be accepted by every rational human being, that God's rightness is right and beautiful and lovely and pure. That evangelism is more than initial salvation. Evangelism is a full conversion into God's value system and God's way of doing things. Evangelism is discipleship. And discipleship is a continual conversion into God's rightness. Then as we're continually converted and as we continually convert one another into God's rightness, we display that rightness for others to see. It's what makes sin unthinkable. Not just in the quality of our relationship with God and not just in the quality of our relationship with one another, but as it relates to our witness and that beautiful plan that we get to be a part of. Paul says, how do we offer our bodies As a living sacrifice, how do we live happy holiness, lives of beauty that put God's rightness on display? He says it in the next few passages. He says, do body life according to the faith that's given you. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but actually go low and be humble and love well and stay with it. Be affectionate, give honor. Don't, la- don't lag in diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Stay with this. Knowing that every moment in the midst of Babylon, that you stay with it and express a little bit of weak love, it moves God's heart, yeah. But it also moves the plan forward. We, be, we go that much closer to the fullness of the Gentiles, the more we're that much more converted and others around us are converted to God's rightness. And we display it that much more 
to a lost and dying world that's in the midst of an accusation and an argument against God's character, and God is going to win, and he's going to win through you. Let's stand. I want to say it again. You went from, before you were saved, before you were born again, you went from a life of nothing matters, meaningless, purposeless, no dignity. Nothing you did was eternal. Nothing had significance from heaven's perspective. You went from that life, in a moment you were born again, and you stepped into a life where everything you do is significant in light of this plan that involves every human being on the planet. And it's really small, and it seems really hidden, and it doesn't always make sense, and others seem to get more accolades, and others seem to get more attention, and others seem to be more celebrated. If only you could hear heaven's opinion of our small, weak love. If only you could see what heaven sees in the way that it moves the plan forward. If you could see a glimpse, it would change the way you live. Because how? Because the living sacrifice of a blameless life becomes more reasonable, becomes more logical. Of course I should live this way. Of course I should forgive. Did that person wrong me? Did they steal from me? Did they malign my character? Did they accuse me? Sure. And all I have to do is forgive them and we're a little inch closer to the fullness of the Gentiles, the salvation of Israel and the return of Jesus. Yes. All I gotta do is show up at friendship group, not demand anything of anyone, do the dishes, clean the house, encourage three people, prophesy over one, show up next week and figure out how to serve again. And you call that beautiful, significant, meaningful, dignified, honorable. It moves your plan forward. We're that much closer to the fullness of the Gentiles, the salvation of Israel. I don't have to go be a radical martyr in Southern Iraq. If God asks you to, you do. But that's not the highest. The highest is the will of God in obedience as you express it in love right here, right now to the person next to you. That's the highest. That's what God says is beautiful. That's what moves him. That's what we get to do. We get to be here right now. We don't have to wait for a glorious future where suddenly our Christianity will be real. We don't have to wait for some future promise where now it will all be worth it. It's already worth it. It's already beautiful. It's already powerful. It's already meaningful to serve the person next to you and tell them that they're loved. It's Lord all over this room, all over the internet. God, I'm asking, restore the beauty of our salvation, the dignity that you've given us by the gospel through blood and cross. You 
secured something for our lives that we so easily forget. But God, I'm asking, root us in gratitude. Give us fresh perspective. We want to see it the way you see it. Secure us in your love. In Jesus' name. If you'd like prayer for anything, I'm not going to do a specific altar call because, come on, every single one of us needed this message. It's not like that the two that come up and go, me, that was for me. No, it was for all of us. But if you'd like prayer for healing or you're in a tough situation, you need a friend to pray with you, anything that you'd like prayer for, I want to invite you to come forward. Our team wants to pray with you. And feel free to slip out. Or if you'd like, it'd be good if you have the time to worship with this team. And just take a minute and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. This life that I get to live, this promise that's on my life, this favor. Thank you, God. Amen.
part of my world. Come, Holy Spirit. So take this life and breathe on this, this heart that is now. I want to take just a moment and pray for those in the room. Your primary assignment is involving a lot of interfacing with those that are unbelievers. You're in the workplace, you're a teacher, you're a doctor, you're an engineer, and you're feeling the weariness of your assignment. I just have a sense that the Lord wants to confirm your assignment, that he sees and that he has you in that particular sphere for a very particular purpose, for his reason and for his glory. So I want to pray for anyone just across the room. I know we just... We got just a minute left. If that's you and you're just feeling the weariness of that, I want you to raise up your hand. Just raise up your hand. If you, if you see someone with their hand raised near you, put a hand on their shoulder. Those of you that are just still in the room and your spouse is in that environment and you're going, man, I know, I know my husband, I know my wife, they're feeling a particular weariness because of the sphere they're in, those that are in the medical community and law enforcement. I mean, just the intensity of those different spheres and, and work environments. Lord, we ask for strength to come to your people right now in the name of Jesus. We ask for the power and the ministry of your Holy Spirit that you would confirm their assignment, that they wouldn't see themselves, Lord in any way that disagrees with your heart and your purpose over their life. We speak grace, grace over their life. We ask you, Lord, for the wind of your spirit to refresh them. Even now, we cry out for those that are on the front lines in the medical community, Lord, that are facing just such intense environment, those in law enforcement. Lord, we ask you for the power of your spirit, for the ministry of your spirit to touch them. Father, come and touch accountants and CPAs and those that work in offices. They feel the monotony often day in and day out. We ask that you would refresh them by your spirit, that your presence would visit them, that you would minister to their heart. Lord, stay-at-home moms, homeschooling moms, we ask for the power of your spirit to touch moms in our community, those gathered online. Lord, we ask you that you would refresh them that they would connect to the joy of their salvation in you, that you are, Lord, their magnificent obsession, that they are your delight, Lord. Strengthen them, confirm your word and their assignment over them. Lord, those are that are retired, that are battling feelings that, Lord, have I missed the season of my life, of, of what you've called me to do? Have I missed my assignment? Those that are 50 and beyond, Lord, we ask that you would confirm your word over them, your heart over them. We cry out, Lord, for the destiny of the mothers and fathers in the faith, that you would use them, that you would minister to them, that their former years would be grad, uh, greater, Lord, their latter years, rather, would be greater than their former. Lord, touch them by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus.